You cannot comprehend the form of this podcast's topic. Today, we're talking about fans of Earthbound. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fanthropological, the podcast where we cover the breadth of human fandom, one fandom at a time. My name is Nick G, and today we're going to be talking about the Ungoogleable Mother series. And here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. I am happy. I'm in trouble. No, wait. I'm happy. And Nick Z. I've had my uh, tub of trout-flavored yogurt, and I'm ready to go. I hope that everyone's listening already played Earthbound. Uh, if you're not, I hope you're intrigued by the nonsense that we just said. Boy, is this game, these games, are they full of nonsense? Although I think none so much as the second one, but we will get into that. I'm going to dive right into all of this. I'm going to start us off with some fandom facts about Earthbound in case you are watching this and are wondering, hey, what is this Earthbound thing? The Mother series consists of three role-playing games, the 1989 Mother for the Famicom, the 1994 Mother 2, known as Earthbound Outside of Japan, for the Super Nintendo, and the 2006 Mother 3 for the Game Boy Advance, written by Shigesato Itoi and published by Nintendo, and featuring game mechanics modeled on the Dragon Quest series, the Mother series is known for its sense of humor, originality, and parody. The player uses weapons and psychic powers to fight hostile, everyday objects, aliens, and brainwashed people. Signature elements of the series include the lighthearted plots, the battle sequences with psychedelic backgrounds, and the rolling HP meter. As players' health ticks down, like an odometer, uh, the damage doesn't instantly subtract HP. Players can outrun the meter to heal before dying. While the franchise is popular in Japan and the United States, it is best associated with the cult following behind earthbound that comes from wikipedia hey man those those rolling uh those health odometers made ramped up the tension you really had to mash a to get through to the end of the battle there's a there's a calmness that follows most big bads like mega attacks mm-hmm. in most games you're like yeah yeah i didn't think i was gonna get it. but but you have a chance in every one in this game <laughs> it's terrifying i think in most there's like a tree and it explodes around tucson or threed and that's like one of the only cases where I can think of where I would really actually beat the odometer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in the other battles, though, with big, with big bads, you'd have to race sometimes to get those curatives in just to save people from fainting. Okay. All right. This time I decided to go in a little bit of a direction for Phantom Facts, and I looked up what people think the name of Earthbound, Mother, whatever you will have it, fans are called. Does anybody want to hazard some guesses as to what was in the running? Because there are some pretty bonkers names. All right, just just off the top here, Mother Lovers. <laughs> that was one of them. <laughs> I think the exact comment was Mother Lovers. No, wait. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, that was definitely one of them. Z, you want to hazard a guess? I mean, there's there's lots of names, but yeah. that was one of the one of them. Earthbounders. Yeah, Earthbounders came up. Boundies. Eaglelandians, Mama's Boys, <laughs> Motherheads. I don't know. Mm. That one doesn't make any sense. Starmen, although people rejected that because Starman has more to do with the, the forum than it does the fans. Mm. Uh, Dan the Video Ninja says Happy Happies. That also came up. Ah. Itoy's Minions <laughs> is another one. Not as catchy as some of the others. 
I looked up search data in a surprise twist. This is one of the few cases that I've seen this and my mind is still blown because none of it makes any sense. <laughs> Despite Earthbound coming out in 1994, interest has remained relatively constant since 2004. Whoa. There was a spike in interest around October 2008, which is when the Mother 3 fan translation patch and uh, guide was released. But like otherwise, it's been relatively flat, which is more than I can say about most of the fandoms we have covered on this show ever. That's pretty impressive. Especially since there hasn't been any new Earthbound stuff, official Earthbound stuff since 2008. Sorry, it came to the Wii U console in 2013, I believe. And that would have been the last thing. Beginnings came out, what, in 2016? Oh, yeah. They actually did release um, Mother. And I have to say, what a what a great change of title when they brought it over here <laughs> and did not call it mother. I like I like the what it what the title evokes mm-hmm. in the story of the games, but it's it's terrible for SEO. Not a not a concern in the eighties and nineties, I guess. I mean, it was it was concern in the nineties that it was called. We want to import this game to America called Mother Two. <laughs> Good change. Does anybody care that we didn't release the first game? We'll just give it a new name. It's fine. It's got yeah very little to do with the first one. Yeah. I've never played Mother, but in doing a lot of research on it, it seemed to me like like Earthbound was like a like a take two. In in a lot of ways, yeah. I've I've played them both. I think like the biggest connection is that the big bad from Earthbound, Gigas, is a little bit more of a uh, concrete being in Mother. Hmm. But yeah, the overall structure of the game, you know, putting together this song and going around to these special areas, et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty much the same. Well, although Earthbound is definitely an improvement in mechanics and whatnot. I mean, there's a there's a big difference in time between those two games. Yeah. Like five years. Yeah. I think Mother was 89. What can happen? I looked so hard to find demographic information on Earthbound. I got some anecdotal stuff, but nothing really concrete, so I kind of skipped over that. And uh, there were some fanfics, but I neglected that duty in favor of doing a little bit more research onto ah. you know, what Earthbound really is. So hmm. that's it for this week's Fandom Facts. What? One of the things we like to do when we look, look at different fandoms is try to figure out what it is about something that makes it so endearing, so interesting, so fascinating that people see it and come to it and stay with it or or come to it in the first place. And one of the things looking back on the game, like both reflecting on it, having played through Earthbound, the second Mother series game, is that sense of like hope and optimism and idealism. It's one one thing that um, I saw pointed out. This is my own comparison, but the point is... Is something that I that I read when I was reading people's various takes on why they like Earthbound so much. Is it similar to like like the Little Prince, in that all the all the children are hopeful and sensible, and all the adults are just like hot messes. <laughs> <laughs> they have all their weird Man. stresses and and jobs and and illnesses and worries, and and the kids are like, "What? I'm just gonna I could do the right thing." Well, unless unless you're Porky. Porky's got his own um, own issues. Maybe he is more of an adult than a child, despite looking like a child. Uh, I was going to say that that comparison to the Little Prince um, reminds me just of this uh, 
this observation that I found on Reddit that part of the appeal, part of the sort of atmosphere of the game seems to derive a lot of charm from the fact that it is, at its heart, a, a bog-standard Chosen One story. But unlike other Chosen One stories, Chosen One RPGs especially, none of the NPCs seem to care or even know that anything is wrong and needs fixing. I watched a video by a YouTuber by the name of King K who did like kind of an overview of Earthbound who said he it wasn't admittedly his thing, but he did a pretty good job of breaking down like its strengths and weaknesses. And one of the things that he said was that it doesn't, it's not really like building up to the final battle. The final battle just kind of happens. Gigas is, is has taken over the future, but has not yet begun to take over the present. If you really get into the lore of it, I suppose it's kind of a weird thing because, well, even, but even just as a player, um, looking back and it's been a while since I've played earthbound, but from what I remember, it does seem kind of sudden at the end or well, at the sort of end game where you're suddenly just thrown into the conflict with Gigas, where it's just like, okay, uh, what you've done so far has pushed Gigas's invasion back, but he still rules in the future. So you got to go to the far future to take him out. And it, it just almost comes out of nowhere. Maybe that's one of the elements of storytelling in the game that make it so endearing. Mm. It's less so about this grandiose story of, of a chosen one, even though it is. There are little mm. hints that there's some outside influence that has been changing humanity. I, yeah. Not really hints, because at the beginning of the game, they beat you over the head. And it's like, <laughs> I'm a bee. I'm not really a bee. I'm from the future. And this guy, guess guy, is totally bad news. Then the rest of the game is like, cool. What? <laughs> but I mean, the point that I was getting at was that at the beginning of the game, you follow kind of like a regular, regular sort of American style RPG where you just mm-hmm. visit different towns in Eagle Land. But then the wheels fall off that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You end up in Threed where there's zombies. Yeah. You come across the happy happiest before that. You come across in Foreside. You come across aliens <laughs> like l- legit aliens <laughs> and you end up in moonside yeah and then it only gets in- more interesting from there you end up in summers which is just like a beach except for this crazy magic cake place fight a kraken on a boat you end up wandering around in a giant human dungeon like the game rapidly isn't building up to some big confrontation with Gygus, but it is building up into more and more interesting set pieces, connecting you to different parts of this world, which is kind of like ours, but then gets less and less as the game progresses. Oh, I even forgot Saturn Valley, which is just flat out bonkers. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the game, you know, encourage you to, to explore the world. And as, see, as you said, well, you did that and that's pretty good, but now you just got to go fight. Gigas in the future. Yeah. Well, it's in that case, when you're fighting Gigas, it's literally just a long slog to Gigas. Mm -hmm. Like it's one path. There's no variation in direction. You just keep going, fighting off enemies until you finally get there. And then it only gets weirder. Mm -hmm. Your fun robots, which is, (laughs) which is cool. Robots with souls. Because only your souls can travel to the future or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. <laughs> I'm on board. 
but yeah, because it, it's it's sort of there was a lot of like it's the journey, not the destination, with Earthbound, and a lot of that is true. Z, I can't imagine that your love of Earthbound does not somewhat cross over with your love of Twin Peaks. Definitely, like I like like because yes, there's a mission yep. going on, but it's more like what's what's the deal with anyone in this world? Yeah. I guess there is still that looming darkness in uh, in Earthbound, but it's much, much less pronounced than in Twin Peaks. I mean, Earthbound is not directed by by David Lynch. I guess if I, if I had to sort of explain it slightly more helpfully, although it's still somewhat limited because you'd have to have seen all of BoJack Horseman. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious where this is going. <laughs> the David Lynch-like character in BoJack Horseman is like David Pinch- He's like a crab or a lobster, but he's he's like a big time director of family movies. So if you can imagine David Lynch directing a family movie, I guess that's it's probably Earthbound. Actually, actually, it might not be a a, a big time family movie, but um, I think it's called The Straight Story or A Straight Story. But a guy who drives across America on a lawnmower to like meet his dying brother or something, something like that. David Lynch directed that, and it's like this very heartfelt, sincere story, and it probably has like some elements of like weird delivery or something like that, some quirkiness, some charm to it, much like Earthbound does. Um, Dan said the Moonside chapter sure seems like it was directed by Lynch. Yeah, that's true. That is for it's sure. Got true. so much of that. Also, my might be my favorite part of the game. I mean, it's it's fun. There's like a puzzly element to it that was the least mm-hmm. fun part but all the talking yeah. and all the yeah yeah all the all the little embellishments that they made in that the actual gameplay part of that game is awful <laughs> just unpleasant just hoping you get the the right jump the music is also bananas during that part yeah i mean there's some quirky music throughout but that's really really nut stuff and i i appreciate it a lot but we'll draw this together and say what both things, both Earthbound and Twin Peaks do is hold up a distorted mirror to like Americana. For sure. And um, the Earthbound version is a little more fun and playful yep. than Twin Peaks, yeah. perhaps. But uh, it's still like, like it's still stuff you recognize reflected back in a really weird way. Yeah. Uh, when I was reading through some Reddit threads about it, about, you know, why do you like Earthbound? And um, from our Earthbound... Uh, where somebody posed the question, I just played this game like a year ago and I'm an, like, I'm an adult. I never played this game as a kid. I only played it a year ago, but already I kind of feel nostalgic for it. Does anybody else feel this way? And, you know, people brought up a few things. They brought up like Shigesato Itoi started out in advertising and he was a very well-known, very famous ad copywriter in Japan. So, you know, he's got this this skill of tapping into people's sense of wonder and longing to tell a story. Uh, Somebody else pointed out that if you look at Earthbound and sort of where it's pulling its influences from, it's got an art style that's very reminiscent of Peanuts comics. Uh, The music that it goes for is mostly classic rock, like resampled, (laughs) sometimes heavily, sometimes very obviously. Um, And movies of like the 70s, 80s, American movies of like the 70s, 80s, like Stand By Me, Okay, like like coming of age kind of movies. Yeah, yeah. So if you put all those things together, it's like Earthbound is this constructed 
nostalgia bomb for this for that weird part that weird point in american culture in the 70s 80s where it was sort of idealizing the 50s as opposed to say fallout which idealized the 50s and then blew it up yeah yeah <laughs> like that's that's literally the only other american style rpg that i can think of off the top of my head <laughs> It's it's interesting that you mentioned both the music and Shigesato Itoi because one thing that I learned doing the research for the show, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with the fandom, but I do think it has to do with why the game has so much appeal. You mentioned that Shigesato Itoi is, you know, this, like, started off in ad mm-hmm. copy. I have this, I have two quotes that I'm going to read out of order because of that. Even uh, Actually, I'll read the whole thing because it doesn't make sense out of context. The mother games, on the other hand, are a little different because some of its most important contributors have better things to do than just sit around making games all day. <laughs> we'll start with composer Keiichi Suzuki, who worked on the music for the first two games in the series. Suzuki is not a games composer. He is mildly famous for being the lead singer of successful Japanese rock band The Moon Riders, has what? created his own music, scored films, and even had a budding second career as an actor on Japanese television. Huh. Why is this important? Because as we recently discussed, the music in Mothers is bananas. You don't find any other games with a soundtrack like it or which gives such importance to its music. Around 30% of Mother 2's total size on the SNES cartridge was taken up by its soundtrack. It's a synthesized tribute to 20th century pop music containing tips of the hat to artists like The Who, Chuck Berry, and even The Beatles. There's a great Beatles versus Mother comparison video, and they look to it. Uh, even more important than Suzuki's background, though, is that of series creator Shigesato Itoi, who is by no means a games developer. Throw his name up on a Western gaming forum, and people will know him as the man behind Mother. But in his native Japan, Itoi is something of a renaissance man, being famous for all kinds of things. From a noted copywriter, to a best-selling author, to a songwriter, he's the voice of the girl's father... In Ghibli's My Neighbor Totoro. What? And he's hmm. been a judge on Iron Chef. What? Oh, wow. Man, so, oh, like, we, we talk about a lot of games like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy and things of that nature where the people involved in making that game or those games mm-hmm. are people who are in the business of making games. Yeah. Mother 1 and Mother 2 are not games like that. They're games made by, uh, I have a different quote that says there's less than 20 people who are not game makers by trade. They're more like game makers out of given a really cool opportunity by Satoru Huwata. <laughs> yep. Well, while we're still on the subject of the music, I don't know if you saw the Z, mm-hmm. but uh, Hirokazu Tanaka, who's one of the people who worked on the Earthbound soundtrack, said speaking about frank zappa's make a jazz noise here tanaka felt that zappa would have been the best at creating a live performance of mother music <laughs> but could not detail zappa's specific influence on earthbound <laughs> i mean i'd agree based on yes. what i've heard of uh, yeah the mother soundtrack but yeah so you know not not far out of mind no um but it being quirky and fun and a reflection of Americana and weirdly nostalgic and familiar, even if you've just played it. I totally understand if people don't like this game. Could you elaborate a little yeah. bit? Yeah. It doesn't look like beautiful. No. It's it's not it's not like a pretty game. The music is not, you know, your grand your <laughs> grand sweeping harmonious sort of thing. And it's not um Especially if, especially if you're coming from just playing fantasy style RPGs, mm-hmm. 
but it's not um it's more art than it is uh i don't but like it's more it's more auteur it's more of a statement than it is just like here's another rpg with the best graphics or whatever yep right like it's right. it, it's it specifically looks like the way it looks but i can definitely see it turning people off as well right i mean you go into a shop and there's this twangy american style little ditty and it's yeah it's got these little quirky bits you're in the middle of a of a jungle and it's like oh how am i going to buy things and you talk to a person and it's like uh yeah i'm an atm <laughs> i'm going to if you need any money i'll let you take it out fight this pile of barf <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> you're going to fight a tent now that's it's full of zombies whatever it's fine <sighs> like it, and it it had those quirky things and it just rolls with it yeah if you're on board with the game sense of humor at all then like you're you're gonna have a great time i can see being like why like why isn't this taking itself seriously or something like that you know um so i would would totally get that but it's i do find it quite charming it's there's nothing really like it no i also saw a lot of people talking as as uh, pros of earthbound a couple of things uh that chrono trigger is also famous for which was uh, one year after. Just being like, there's no random encounters. Stuff will just come up to you. And if you're a sufficiently high level, you'll just beat it, which is maybe one of the most incredible things I've seen in any RPG ever. Also, preemptive attacks. Like, if if you wander into them in the right way, you get a preactive, preemptive attack. You can control it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about earthbound as we go through this but one thing that kind of one thing that i really can't wrap my head around and it's not because i don't like the game i love the game i've got i got a copy of legends of localization sitting here on my desk uh mr saturn is hidden somewhere in my <laughs> office here and you know it's it's a great game i haven't played three and i couldn't get through one i think there's like a generational nintendo gap thing going on there oh yeah but the one thing that i i don't understand is that how is this interest in the game sustained? We talked about Galaga with Michael Kimball and he's, he was selling us that, you know, you know, when my generation is, is dead, this, this fandom is probably also dead. And Earthbound isn't that bad because Galaga came out in the, I think it was the late seventies or early eighties. Earthbound, the first one came out in 89 and the most recent one is in 2006. So obviously there's still lots of life in the the fandom but it's three games it's three games and the fandom is ridiculous (laughs) i don't mean it in a bad way i just mean that i've never seen a set of fans so passionate about a game series despite it only being three games three games there's no not gonna be any prequels there's not gonna be any sequels that's it that is all you get for all time do you like seeing Lucas and Ness in Smash? Because that is all the extra <sighs> Earthbound mother goodness you are going to get. We're talking about fans who have done so many different bits and pieces to try to get Nintendo involved. Starman.net had, uh, when I was looking into my famous last words, I which were... Uh, you know, I wanted to know more about Starman.net. They have a page devoted to their history. I found out that it started in 1999, kind of, with an email from Tomato to to read men about a vision for Earthbound.net, which later became Starman.net. And there's a lot of interesting history. You can find it at Starman.net slash Stonehenge. But it reminded me of the various campaigns 
that the folks of Starman.net did to try to convince Nintendo to release the various incarnations of Mother. In 1999, they started a petition, 1,800 signatures to get Mother on the Game Boy Color. Mm-hmm. 10,000 signatures in, in September 2000 to get Earthbound 64 released. <laughs> 31,000 yeah. signatures in April of 2003 to get Mother 3 released. And this is in addition to the various events that they called um, NP Siege, which, <laughs> which is where they would reach out to Nintendo Power, yeah. I believe, to try to convince Nintendo, like, your fans really want this game. Could you do something about it? They did that in 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003. And they've done lots of other efforts. I have a spotlight that I am <laughs> not going to tip my hand on. Too bad to you. I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> but, like, it's the fans are so passionate that there's this great quote from Shigeru Miyamoto uh, from an interview with Nintendo Europe. You might not know this, but there was a petition in the US, a please make Mother 3 petition, and I got about 30,000 signatures. After that, we thought, wow, Earthbound fans are really solid. <laughs> <laughs> solid enough to release those games. <laughs> No, I mean, (laughs) I mean, it's like thinking about it and like, you know, the the passion of the fans versus the brick wall of Nintendo. (laughs) How the hell did Lucas get in the Smash games? Maybe that was like a a little wee concession. They were like, well, you know, all these signatures and printed out uh, uh, petitions that have been mailed to us as bricks of paper and ink let's give him Lucas and yet Chrono remains with no uh, <laughs> no smash appearances well, to his name I think you'll find that uh, Earthbound has three games and Chrono, Chrono series only has uh, two so uh, sorry it has twice as many games released in North America well I guess <laughs> I, I guess Mother's out now and yeah, now it is oh man the craziest thing about those petitions is that, you know, okay, so we never got Mother on the Game Boy. We never got Mother 3 out in North America. Yes. Um, but in 2003, what they were specifically campaigning for was to get the the little cart that had Mother 1 and 2 on it for the Game Boy Advance to come over to North America. And, yeah, they did the, the petition thing with, like, signatures and that sort of thing. They also did the NP Siege, and maybe that's what the... The, the phone campaign was they were calling up Nintendo Power like physically or Nintendo. The craziest thing about that one, though, specifically after that, that siege, after that run, that attempt, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Reed Young, the guy behind Starman.net, some, one of the higher ups yeah. was contacted by somebody from Nintendo and they said it had almost worked. But the phone campaign only lasted one week, so we forgot about it, basically. So if they'd kept it up, then, like, they probably would have had it. And because of that, because of that, uh, the community resolved to never let up again. Whoa. And I think that, even accounting for, you know, just the attrition of time, people losing interest, whatever, if that happens with Earthbound fans at all. Um that is probably one of the major factors as to why there is still a big fandom for it. There's just this like really tight community. There's this sense that 
we almost had it and they just never want to let up again and it's it's not just petitions like the way i'm phrasing it it's like oh you know these fans really wanted this game to mm-hmm. come out so they yelled at nintendo and nintendo didn't listen or it kind of listened and releases and it released earthbound on the virtual console that's what that's what it might sound like if you were just, just read that tiny bit into it but it's more than that because you know there are fans of the near series which as far as i understand is still probably going to continue mm-hmm. but earthbound is three games and as, as far as we can tell that's all we're going to get and as a result of that, I have seen no less than three different documentary series <laughs> produced by fans about Earthbound. Yeah. Numerous books, many of which are available at Fangamer, which <laughs> makes sense as that's a community that grew out of Starmen.net, which is a mm-hmm. Earthbound forum, or fundamentally was. There's tons of different other merchandise available, and it obviously it has enough appeal to make it into to Smash. How is it that a game which flopped? Yeah. Like it was a marketing flop when the game was released. It in, with its scratch and sniff, <laughs> disgusting <laughs> at like whatever you want to look at it. Ugh. It flopped. And yet this is a game that is beloved by so many people. I I think a lot of it just comes back to the whatever core community had uh formed around Starman.net in the early days. One of the biggest factors, I think, is that the people who uh, glommed on to Starman.net in that community at that time, like, were really young. Reed Young himself, when he started the website, eventually, which eventually became Starman.net, um, when he started that in 1997, he was in middle school. What? The the late '90s internet and fan sites. So many of them were started by people in like middle school, grade nine. And it's just this fan site I do. Oh, look, it's this giant media center now. I'm, I've got a career, I guess. But like that enthusiasm of youth probably played a huge part in it. But a lot of, a lot of what I managed to turn up about sort of the, the temperature of the fandom, if you will, was that, yeah, Earthbound's a pretty big part of it. But I think what binds them together so strongly is that because earthbound has that charm and is fairly lighthearted and sincere and that kind of thing, the fandom itself is also fairly lighthearted and sincere and that sort of thing. But like, it's not like, it's not like fans of a sports game. It's not like fans of Madden who probably get together and, you know, like, Oh, let's compete. It's like a bunch of people, a bunch of people who just like get together. It's just a huge group of friends hanging out and doing things together, like making fan games, which is another reason why I think the community is going strong to this day. Because if Nintendo's not going to give us games, well, here's a bunch of games inspired by Earthbound, many of which recently being made an RPG maker. People have even gone to the trouble of making like an Earthbound Mother 3 style engine to use with mm. RPG Maker. Interesting. Yeah. Was Undertale made an RPG Maker? So the things that I learned doing the research for this episode, a thing that we may or may not get to, uh, Earthbound fans, a lot of places where Earthbound fans gather, uh, do not want any discussion of Undertale because it's kind of infiltrated everything. Mm-hmm. I see. 
But also Toby Fox, the creator of Undertale, when they were young, younger, I should say, not that they're old now, (laughs) when they were younger, they made a number of different fan hacks for Earthbound Realms. Yeah. I believe Mm. some Halloween themed ones. Yeah. I think I think it's the most famous of them. The Halloween hack. Like Earthbound strikes me as, I should say. Like with with you know the sense of humor that it has and and the fact that it's not for everyone. But it's like when people when I've heard people talk about watching Rocky Horror for the first time, watching yeah. like Monty Python for the first time, and they encounter something that's quite different to what they've experienced normally, and they're like, Oh man, this is my thing. Yeah. I get this. And this gets me. And that's and you know, that's a that's a real real fun thing to find out when you're like, oh, this I'm I'm in line with this sense of humor. Um, and then so I, I feel like that would galvanize all the fans of it really quickly to like share that weird sense of humor and uh, and bond over that. For like reflecting on my personal experiences as a fan of Earthbound, I would like to think that, oh, a lot of my experiences are formed by when I played the game as a child, which would probably consist of renting a Super Nintendo, renting the game, and playing the game. But that doesn't make any sense, because when I did that as a child, none of those experiences were contiguous. It'd be like taking a an RPG, and then there was a save file, and you'd play it, and none of it made any sense. Yeah. Mm. So really, a lot of my experiences come from playing it on an emulator later in life, and then having some fun moments like when you meet Mr. Saturn or when you have to enter the password, which is just wait a long time. And I just hit fast forward on the emulator. Or for me, the biggest moment was probably when you're about to get on a boat to head to Scaraba mm-hmm. and the game decides to stop for a moment. It stopped at several moments at this point. It, it has an opportunity to kind of recap as you're having a cup of coffee. Yep. Or some cake, I think, is the other occasion. Yeah. It was the point when you get on the boat and are about to face the Kraken where something happens in the game, and that's where everything galvanizes. And that's when the game asks, hey, you out there. And you're sitting there, and you're like, yeah, I'm Ness. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know why you're talking to Ness. It's like, no, don't. I'm not talking to Ness. I'm talking to you, the player. <laughs> and it's a little unusual, and you're like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I like meta. Meta's cool. And it's like, could you enter your name? So you do that. And seems like it doesn't really matter until later it does. Yeah. Later, you're in this very climactic, slightly confusing, very different for any final boss battle that I've seen in any game so far. Except maybe Undertale, but that's not a good example. And it it's, you are hopeless. You have nothing left you don't know what to do and so you pray and you pray and you pray and at first it doesn't seem to be doing anything and like this isn't the moment with galvanized but it's when everything comes together because you're praying and everyone in the world is coming out to you it's like the spirit bomb moment (laughs) yeah pretty much except 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 different than the spirit bomb you are there because the game says it's like and they prayed and tried to reach out to you, play your name. Oh my gosh. And I'm just like, <laughs> like not only is it mind blowing, but it's also just really touching because literally everyone is coming together, giving everything mm-hmm. that they can to wish Ness and Paula and Jeff and Pooh 
their safe way along. And I mean, I, I haven't played the first one or the third one, but like they are also filled with moments that are like that. Yeah. If if I recall correctly, the, the final battle does not spell out that you're supposed to pray. No, no, no. You can you can you can run at that bus uh, quite a few times just trying to attack it, and uh, I mean, eventually you'll figure out you like try something you not you haven't tried before. But yeah, because that ability is sitting there the entire game, and I don't think it does anything else. It causes random effects. I think sometimes praying heals you. Sometimes it causes confusion to you or your enemies. It's I don't know. It's frustrating. And then at the end of the game, you're like, well, I've tried everything else. What else am I going to try? And you try it once and it doesn't work. You try it twice. Maybe it doesn't do something. And then it's like the third or fourth time. <laughs> that's when it starts picking up steam. <laughs> Since we're on it, Z, why don't you... What's your uh, history with Earthbound? I first played Earthbound when I was uh, chewing through as many 16-bit RPGs as I could <laughs> via emulation. I don't think I ever rented it. Um like the only memory memory I have of ever seeing it in the rental shop, we'd always go to the aptly named the movie store (laughs) (laughs) Um, was seeing the box and kind of being a little bit puzzled and not really knowing what to make of it and just kind of passing it over. But when I finally played it on a computer with an emulator uh, around like 97, 98, um, I remember just really enjoying it, feeling like feeling like it was a fairly difficult game, actually, even though in subsequent playthroughs, you know, once you know what you're doing, the difficulty is pretty manageable. Um, I have really vague memories of going to Starman.net a lot. And I don't remember if it was for game tips or news or both. I remember I, I do remember reading a very short uh, ridiculous fanfic that actually involved that pile of puke you have to beat up. Barf. <laughs> Master Barf, I should say. Yeah. Goes way back. Also, fun fun little factoid. I remember um, when I was hunting around for the actual physical cart of Earthbound, because by the time I was interested in finding it, mid-2000s, the price had gone way, way up. Although according to some documentaries and such that I've seen trailers for, shortly after the game released, it wound up in the bargain bin. And like it, sh- it showed video of like these displays of Earthbound stacked high, high, high to the ceiling with stars and signs saying $5 on them. Oh. Ugh. Anyway, when I finally found the cartridge, like the night or, well... The night before that, I had a dream that I found it. So, just saying. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Are you in, were, you, were you in Magicant by any chance? I might have been. I might have been. Well, it sounds like I'm the only person who paid for this game before playing it. Oh, jeez. Uh, a, a cool, a cool $3 in Value cool. Village. Whew. I'll take, oh, take your tears in my, my mug and... <laughs> And drink it up but like i was aware of earthbound for a long time it's part of the canon of snes rpgs yeah um i know z you in particular really liked it uh, i knew that for a while but i kept putting it down the list because i didn't think it looked very good 
I don't. I don't mean I didn't think it was a good game. Yeah. I think like literally, it didn't look very yeah. good, and I was like, Meh. I mean, it, it was competing with I things can... like Secret of Mana and yeah. Chrono Trigger, and even a Final Fantasy VI, which all looked really, really good. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, mm, I don't know about this, and yeah, I think even then, I was I was getting onto PlayStation RPGs and yeah. things like that. Um. So yeah, when we actually played it, it wasn't that long ago. It was maybe five years ago or something like that. Uh, my two friends, and it was like. I'm glad I played it then. Yeah. Because I think I would have, when I was younger, I would just be like, nah, this is dumb. <laughs> this is not, I, I probably, like, I just want, like, fantasy style RPGs and stuff like that. But uh, being a little bit older, I'm like, oh, I get this. Yeah. This is fun. This is uh, completely different. And this is very, as I said before, very, like, auteur, which uh incredible that I made it all the way over here. Uh, yeah. With the, with the style that it had to it, <laughs> and my my main memory is we were in Magicant and we just gotten the bat that hits for a critical every time, but only hits twenty five percent of the time. So while I was I think sleeping, one of the guys I was playing it with bought that and sold every other bat, so <laughs> we didn't hit much and died very quickly. <laughs> remember it? I remember enjoying it's like. Tell me what your favorite thing is, and then what that is is like the name of of Ness's like main psychic move. Yeah, I was like, ah, that's fun. Yeah, PK steak. (laughs) 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 I guess size steak. (laughs) Size steak. Oh, I do remember. I guess I I must have rented it once at least because I I remember, or maybe it was the copy that I bought. Anyway, I just remember booting it up. And uh, some previous player had entered their favorite thing as as, as uh, acid. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it that makes it pretty cool. Maybe makes the spell uh, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the background designer just spent two years making backgrounds for the game. Did you know that if you have an Android phone, or if you're just a developer or whatever, somebody has made a background generator <laughs> so you can have on your phone. Crazy, wacky, dynamic, earthbound-esque backgrounds. Uh, or if wow. you're a web developer, you can just take that and like run it and you can have wacky backgrounds and, and stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> well, speaking of those backgrounds, actually, I just wanted to jump in and say a few words about my famous last words from last week. Oh, yeah. Uh, what were those, Z? Uh, I was wondering, you know, Without any more games coming out with Shig- with uh, Shigesato Itoi saying, if there are more mother games, I don't want to make them. I just want to play them. You know, what are the fans doing? Are they making any games? Answer, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On Starman.net, they have a forum. Not surprising. Uh, specifically, they have a section of that forum called Fan Games and Programs. And I didn't go through the whole thing. There were many, many pages of that, but I went through the first three pages and I just made, you know, really quick notes about how many games on each page were, or at least looked like remakes slash sequels, surprising number of remakes. Like I'm doing mother one in RPG maker. I'm using this other graphics set, whatever. Um, and games that were inspired by earthbound and in total from those first three, first three pages, there were 26 games that were remakes or sequels or prequels and 36 that were inspired by. And that's 
pretty impressive in and of itself. Um, I didn't really keep uh, tabs on any of those projects or how long they've been going on for or anything like that. But the big one, the one that is bold enough or was bold enough to call itself Mother 4, has been going on since 2010. It was supposed to come out in 2014, delayed at that point. It was delayed again, a little bit further down the road. And in 2017, they came out and said, uh, well, we don't want to be taken down by a copyright strike. So we are rebranding the game to uh, remove the mother for name and double down on this 1970s aesthetic we've gone with. And I have to admit, I don't know if they've totally revamped the graphics yet. It looks very much like a Mother 3 sort of style of, of world design and sprites and that kind of thing. I don't know if they'll be changing that to avoid copyright strikes, but it looks like a fantastic game. <laughs> and I must say that uh, their Reddit, r slash Mother 4, surprisingly positive for a game that hasn't even released a demo over the last seven years, well, eight years, I want to say now, probably around eight, um, almost everybody on on the, the posts that I looked at was like, we know that these people are, you know, enthusiastic. It's something they're doing in their spare time. Fan games take time. We'll wait, which is really interesting to see. What a patient lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's no shortage of other smaller games and and tributes and whatnot to tide them over, right? Is it going to be like a genre mother likes? <laughs> no. I mean, indie RPGs in general, I guess. Postmodern RPGs, perhaps? No, I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's it. Because when I think about what makes Earthbound so great, and even Mother 3 from what I've seen and not what I've played, because I haven't played very much of it, yeah, there's an element of like, oh, it's a twist on a classic JRPG style, your Dragon Quest style. Yes, there's a twist in that it's it's got slightly different mechanics and it's a, a Western style aesthetic instead of a, f- a fantasy aesthetic. But none of that is what draws me back to the game. For me, it's for Earthbound. It's this boy whose friend is like, hey, we need to go get my little brother he ran away and he could just go home and go back to bed (laughs) and instead he takes his dog or his teddy bear or he finds paula or jeff or Pooh or whoever and he goes out and decides to save the world and makes all these fun meaningful like typical shonen kind of connections with everybody across the world and yeah it's quirky and it's it's fun and probably wouldn't be as meaningful if it was like very serious but it's just this lighthearted story about saving the world when you didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you could have literally gone back to bed. <laughs> yeah. Your mom won't let you go adventure ah. unless you get dressed. That's true. Just never get dressed. Walk around you. Can't walk around in your pajamas. <laughs> I mean, I think I've, I've just learned a life lesson. And ah. that is if I haven't gotten dressed then nothing good is going to happen. Yeah, you're not you're not ready for what's coming for what life is gonna <laughs> life is gonna hand you. Wait, in Hitchhiker's Guide, does he have pajamas on? Does he leave the house with it, pajamas? He has pajamas and also a robe. Yep, and a towel. So yeah, he doesn't. I don't think he initially has a towel, but he, he gets one very quickly. I'm getting mixed messages here. I think 
a lot of the fandom and why it's so persistent really hinges on them being underdogs. And we've talked about a lot of fandoms before that are, you know, seem to be underdogs. Maybe the creator doesn't like care for the fans. They're just like, let me do my stuff. Maybe um, they're fans of something really old that's not being made anymore and the creators have zero interest in making it like Earthbound. But I think the thing that set uh, that sets Earthbound fans apart uh, can be summed up by one video games journalist, Anthony John Agnello, who said, who wrote, no video game fans have suffered as much as Earthbound fans. <laughs> that was, Okay, so I, I came across that article and I ran out of time to read it. I, I Even without reading it, I already understand the gist of it based on the other research. <laughs> we have fans who care very much and only played the second game. Yeah. And then, like, 20 years later, <laughs> 20 years later, it's like, hey, here's the first game, which maybe isn't as good as the third one, but here's a bone. Ah, yeah. And... I have a spotlight, which I've been alluding to, and I'll mm. come up on shortly, which is an example of the lengths that fans have gone to outside of these petitions, outside of all of these other things that they've done. There are very few fandoms that we encounter where people have to really clamor to get things. Or when people yeah. are clamoring to get things, they're, it's from a sense of entitlement, which isn't the same. Yeah, These are fans that are really passionate and care about this game, and they're not asking for much they're asking Nintendo to release the game so that they can pay for it and support <laughs> it. And yeah. Like they want, yeah. yeah. These aren't ingrates like Tom- tomato. One of the translators for the mother three fan translation. Like, I can't believe that Nintendo wouldn't get them involved. Yeah. And Nintendo is like, nah. And for the longest time <laughs> there wasn't even earthbound wasn't even available on the virtual console. Mm-hmm. so i can understand without having read the article that it's like with a, with a little bit of hyperbole that it it's like no one has suffered as much as earthbound fans that makes sense to me yeah and even from the beginning apparently that underdog that sense of being underdogs is what at least according to reed young founder of starman.net or co-founder of starman.net it's what kept the fandom vigilant so that they would never rest on their laurels. And after that lesson learned in 2003, they would never let up again. Plus, all the the results, um, or all of the threads in that fan games and programs uh, thing stretching back, or stretching stretching back three pages, were not even a year old. So that aspect of the fandom is very, very active. There's even a work for hire uh, part of that, that section of the forum that also seems to be very very active and like it was really hard <laughs> looking through the the select few games and projects that i i looked into like i actually read a bit of the thread of it was really hard to find one where you know a few replies down there wasn't somebody saying oh do you need do you need some help with this sprite work or do you need do you need a composer i can help with that it's just a really helpful fandom it's it feels like a fandom that is very welcoming and very easy to feel comfortable and happy in so why why wouldn't yeah happy happies why wouldn't you want to 
you know, perpetuate that. Even if maybe Nintendo doesn't really care about you. Well, if or when we cover Earthbound again, I am very interested in seeing the contrast of that happy, easygoing, helpful attitude with the cult-like mm-hmm. attitude that Earthbound fandom is often described as. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems very happy from the outside. That's the secret. I don't want to spread weird rumors <laughs> about it being a cult because that's everything I've experienced with with the game and the fans around it has been great. Yeah, even the little nod to them not liking Undertale is all just secondhand research. Uh, it's not yeah. experience. Yeah, apparently that has something to do with that game theory about Sans's Ness. Oh yeah, people also don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> something something mad pets something <laughs> yeah it's like for for a while there in the in the late 2000s every time i brought up doctor who people would want to talk to me about torchwood and i'm like i don't care about torchwood i care about doctor who's like yeah, but <laughs> torchwood's a doctor who spinoff and i'm like i just watched doctor who man torchwood's a doctor who have for, to... for grown-ups yeah it's tough and edgy mm. <laughs> it's, yeah i'm gonna go watch Shira, the new one because i'm a child i'm okay with that. <laughs> All right, well, I guess it's time that I finally go back to the future, like in Earthbound, <laughs> and uh, bring up this week's spotlights. spotlights. That's right, I got multiple spotlights. I'm like, I don't know, Michael Jackson on a stage or something. Wait, the Beatles on a stage. Wait, the Runway 5 on a stage. There we go. How did we get through a whole episode without mentioning... Much of the Beatles are the Runaway Five. How did that? <laughs> you know what? This just tells me that there's a lot more that we could cover in a future episode. But that's not important because I'm talking about the spotlight. I have not one, not two, not three, but four spotlights and an honorable mention. Wow. But G, but wow. Z kind of mentioned one of the spotlights. But I'll go through them anyway. <laughs> the first spotlight is the Minch Foundation, mm-hmm. which you can mm-hmm. find at MinchFoundation.org. <laughs> And I'll read this quote from the site. It is a charity for people like us. You are a successful businessman. People owe you $100,000 or more. But when have you ever taken time out to give back to your community? Uh, It is a division of Golden Aloysius Heavy Industries. You might know them for their Earthbound Vash or their Strategic Partnerships Enabling Network Dynamics, uh, also known as SPEND. Uh, awards presented mm. at Camp Fan Gamer, most recently awarded in 2010X to Bill Gates and Elon Musk <laughs> and Mr. Uber. <laughs> For those not in the know, the Minch Foundation is not a real charity. It is pretty fun, Earthbound related trivia kind of stuff. And you should just check out their website. There's not a lot on it, and it's fun. That's not how it led me to this, but it is related to this. The other spotlight that I have, which unfortunately I wish I had more information on, is Camp Fangamer and the Earthbound Bash. Mm. There was a cool event related to Earthbound, but it might be defunct, called the Earthbound Bash. Uh, It was a charity event that ran. I believe the first or second year that it ran, they managed to raise... $20,000 for Speak Your Silence, which is a charity to inspire people to prevent sexual abuse and assault by sharing their voice for those affected. 
From what I can tell, that may have evolved into Camp Fangamer, which at first was just a celebration of Earthbound and later became a celebration of Fangamer, the merchandise site that spawned out of Sturman.net. Um, but unfortunately, in both of those cases, I couldn't find a definitive website. If you go to campfangamer.com, I believe it just redirects you to starman.net. Not to any particular page, just to the homepage. Oh. oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that as a mailing list subscriber to Fangamer, they've sent me emails about, hey, Camp Fangamer's coming up, but I can't really find a lot of information online. So it's definitely an Earthbound-inspired little mini convention that you can check out, which usually is some point in the summer in, like, Tucson, Arizona. Wait, Tucson? Wait. Phoenix, Phoenix Arizona? Wait. <clears throat> wait, wait, what? No, like, like Tucson. <laughs> like, like Tucson. Uh, oh, Oh, <laughs> spelled Tuxin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's not exactly an official website, but if you go to the Fangamer YouTube channel, there are a bunch of panels from Camp Fangamer 2016 that just went up six months ago. So maybe Fan Camp Fangamer is not a thing at the moment. Uh, I think there was one running last summer. Okay, yeah, I definitely found posts related to mm-hmm. Camp Fangamer 2018. Okay. I just there's just not a definitive like one place for it all. Anyway. Yeah. The third spotlight is Mother 4. Hey. Spoilency. Uh, uh you can find it at mother4game.com. Mother 4 follows the journey of three kids and the leader of a biker game with dark rumors of modern men running oh, wild. These unassuming heroes set out to uncover the truth no matter how dangerous. From bustling urban streets to secret volcano bases, all kinds of oddball thugs and impossible monsters stand in their way. But everything should be okay if they don't forget to write home. You can find that out on mother4game.com, but as Z mentioned, it's not exactly downloadable from there. No, I, it, well it's not done yet. Yeah, but the other thing is that the rebranding, which apparently hasn't finished yet, and um, if you want to be up and up uh, news-wise with that, there's really no way to because apparently the mailing list is full. Yeah, that's what it says on the website. Yeah. So what? Yeah. So there's there's an element of exclusivity, perhaps. You know, although they do in in their FAQ, they do mention that after the game's released, you know, the mailing list will know first, and then. Uh, Sometime later, a, a public download page will be made available. Qu- ma- bleh, will be quietly made available, I should say. So kind of a mysterious thing that Mother 4, or whatever they wind up calling it now. Man, it looks great. Yeah. it's It looks pretty good. The fourth and final spotlight that I have, which is the thing I'd been alluding to at several points in this episode, is the Earthbound Anthology, which you can find at anthology.starman.net. In spite of a seemingly endless stream of disappointments and letdowns, the Earthbound fanbase remains as strong and optimistic as ever. This online version of the anthology was posted as the final bonus for the 2009 EBFGP. I've forgotten what that stands for. Funktastic game something a yearly event in which the community plays through earthbound together over the course of a month the 2009 event drew thousands of visitors hundreds of whom would tune in daily to watch the live broadcast by various community members there was never a greater illustration of the earthbound community's spirit and in that same spirit that we finally commit this book to the public stay classy earthbound fans as i was reading about this this was 
effectively a book that they'd manufacture. It had four CDs worth of additional music and art and other things. And it was a book. They made a book. They, as far as I understand, they had all sorts of things lined up to sell this book. They gave advanced copies to like IGN and other game outlets. And I think this is because I didn't finish my research that there was a news article talking about this book that they wanted to produce that Nintendo was like, nope, can't do this. Which is strange because as I've already got, I've got (laughs) Legends of Localization on my desk and I've got like, uh, what's the other one? I've got the Earthbound Handbook (laughs) right here. These are fan made (laughs) things. Nintendo didn't stop either of those. All right. Stop. But they stopped this anthology. Stop me if I'm about to step on your honorable mention. But uh, the documentary, Earthbound USA. Nope. Okay, cool. Uh, part of this Earthbound box set uh, that Fangamer kickstarted with a campaign called You Are Now Earthbound. Oh, yeah. That's where, that's where I got this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but Earthbound USA is like... A documentary that's supposed to tell the story of how Earthbound came to the United States. And uh I like the fact that this book stopped because Nintendo said, uh ah, no, is really interesting to me because um they were kind of, you know, taking it easy with Earthbound USA, the documentary. Uh but then like Shikasado Itoi, because they interview him for the documentary, publicly tweeted uh, I just I was just interviewed yeah, I was just interviewed by some Earthbound fans and they really know their stuff. So then they were like, "Oh <laughs> crap, we gotta we gotta put the pedal to the metal on this." Unfortunately, that's still not out because when they were about to wrap up or something, there's like a, a slew of new Earthbound news and fun facts, I guess, that came out. So they had to go back and change a bunch of things. But just a little little point of interest. Maybe Nintendo doesn't know about documentaries. They only know about books and video games. Nintendo knows about money <laughs> as it fiercely devours mine as I marathon Do new things on the Switch. <laughs> oh boy. I mean, they've convinced me to buy games that I already own. <laughs> that's that's probably their best trick. Yep. Yeah. It's a big part of the business model. Uh, Come on, guys. Yes. As an indication of the fandom, there were so many things I found as a spotlight, including Earthbound USA, but I didn't want to include that as an honorable mention because it came up and I didn't dig too much into it. The honorable mention that I have is actually Mother's Cookbook. Oh. Ooh. If you go to twitter.com slash Mother's Cookbook, you will find a Twitter feed dedicated to a cookbook about the wacky foods of the mother series that they turned into real recipes. There was a Kickstarter for this, and I unfortunately don't know if it was successful or not. And I also don't know if you can buy the book or not. But if you go to that Twitter, if you visit their profile, they have information on how you can contact them. And you can better believe that after this episode, (laughs) I'm going to contact them to find out if I can buy a book on how to make trout-flavored yogurt or peanut butter cheese bars. (laughs) They showed a picture of the peanut butter cheese bars. They actually looked pretty tasty. <laughs> that sounds fatally ungoogleable. <laughs> mother's cookbook. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, that's why you want to go to twitter.com slash mother's cookbook. Yeah. Because otherwise you're not going to exactly. find it. I'm, I'm impressed they have it. That is the longest spotlight that we have had <laughs> in a while. 
There's a lot to shine on Earthbound Fandom. I gotta, I gotta grab that spotlight. Grab that spotlight for one quick second and say... Oh, no. They won. Mother's Cookbook was successfully kickstarted. $52,031 out of a $10,000 goal. All right. Well, apparently I'm going to have to contact them anyway because I want that book. <laughs> Give me the book. Give me the book. <laughs> I mean, if you want to if you want to read a story of all our, of all our adventures, you're going to have to wait a very long time because it's only an audio format, but if you're content with that format, uh, in order to experience it, you can head on over to fanthropological.com where you can listen to all our episodes covering a different fandom uh, every single week. If yours is up there, do take a listen and let us know what you think of it at nickatthenextcast.com. If it's not up there, also let us know and uh, we'll cover it. nickatthenextcast.com. We are the next cast everywhere on the internet. If you want to get a hold of us, just plug in the next cast somewhere and we will respond out, out of the ether. We'll use PK uh, contact you. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you, we might not comprehend the form of your message, but we'll do the best we can. And if we can't, we'll pray. Uh-huh. Um, not to mention, it is the best time of year. It is it is uh, Doctor Who time. And uh, at the next cast, we have you covered with a rotating cast of six different guests covering uh, Jodie Whittaker's first turn as a doctor of Series 11 of Doctor Who over at whointerview.com. You, sh- you will find um, reviews of every episode of Series 11 so far. Uh, maybe a little after midnight on the uh, on the on the Sunday that it airs. So uh, if you're a Doctor Who fan, check that out. First off, thanks for listening out there in podcast land. Um, hoping we've been like Escargos Express, surprisingly quick and witty. Nonetheless, I just want to say, if you're listening to the podcast, you could also watch us recording it live on Twitch.tv/slash The Nixcast. If you if you do that, you can see our lovely faces here are all lovely voices alive and you could also participate in the famous last words words. that's right it is the famous last words it is our chance to say something a question a statement what have you about next week's topic before we have done any of the research now next week is a special case because i think at least one of us is not going to have any issues with pretty much anything about it. We are going to be talking about fans of pro wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that low, inaudible excitement that is building <sighs> that you may or may not be able to feel in your heart as G, because he is probably going to be our expert for that episode. Due to my extensive knowledge on the subject, I am abstaining from having famous last words. Oh, okay. Well, that just leaves Z and I to have some famous or infamous last words about, you know, pro wrestling. Yeah, I feel like this is some sort of kayfab. Oh, boy. I'm I'm using... Kayfab, because... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, good. Good to know. We'll talk about it. (laughs) Already getting into it. Um... All right. What I want to know, it seems like wrestlers are really great, uh, really great show people just in general, you know, very big uh, performing for the back of the room, as they might say in in the theater. Um, But what I'm wondering is, have there ever been wrestlers who were not fans of wrestling before they got into it or even 
were never fans of wrestling when they were actually actively wrestling. Pro wrestling, I should say. Or is every pro wrestler out there a fan of pro wrestling? That's a good question. I am going to ask a glib question, and that is, why do people enjoy watching bad wrestling? (laughs) Um, Like, do you mean people who aren't are fans of wrestling already choosing to watch bad wrestling or like are you making a judgment on the wrestling that people are enjoying it's not glib if i explain it no. okay. so what, I, what i mean is that there as i've learned partly through this show and partly through ug there are many different varieties of wrestling you've got lucha libre mm-hmm. or luchador style wrestling rather you have japanese style wrestling Pure oh, resident. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. In North, even in North America, you have backyard style wrestling. You have the various different brands of like WWF. You have NXT or whatever. I, I don't even know, but there's there's many different varieties of professional wrestling and different storytelling styles. Even in Japanese wrestling, you have like two or three main different styles, like that mm-hmm. ridiculous one where whoever you put the belt on top of a thing and then it wins. <laughs> Uh, yes. we'll talk uh, i'm sure we'll talk yes. about that i'm excited to get that so why is it that people choose to watch the really boring by comparison to me like wwf style wrestling where the stories aren't particularly interesting and they never choose to make interesting decisions about what to do next or what to do with the characters they always like i mean i'd be happy if they just do things with the rock but he's got a very successful <laughs> career doing many other things now oh yeah he's busy <laughs> yeah and so i i wonder out of all the choices of wrestling out there why people limit themselves to say wwe mm. oh man that's like that's like the whole episode right <laughs> there i'm excited i'm excited <laughs> to get this gee you better come prepared you better bring your own chair but you're only gonna need the edge <laughs> <laughs> you, you better be the there work. next week next monday Eight o'clock PM Eastern Time. If you're not there, you better be dead. And if you're not dead, you better be in jail. <laughs> Don't work yourself into a shoot, brother. Man, oh man. <laughs> if you're if you're Hulk Hogan, I better be the ultimate warrior. I gotta work on my scrunk. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's not Hulk. That's that's the Macho Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I know is the next week is going to be a lot of fun, regardless of what I learn or not. Oh yeah. But I'm probably going to learn a lot. I don't yeah. know if we've done a three-hour episode before, but it's going to be fun to see uh, to see how it pans out. Ooh, boy! Apparently, I'm going to need to. Use, I'm only going to need the edge of my seat. That's right. If you have a suggestion for a sign-off line you'd like to hear me use to uh, end the podcast with, please send them to gathenixcast.com. I will read all the submissions as I get them and pick the best one as I see fit. But until next time, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Because only your souls can travel to the future or something? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'm on board. (laughs) That sounds like a Prague album right there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's an an Ariane album for sure. Um, How have we not covered that? I I don't know. (laughs) 
you know what? That's definitely a topic for throw another it, episode throw, of the podcast. Throw, yes. throw it on the pile. <laughs> when you say throw it on the pile like that, it's like a big pile of burning stuff, yeah. and you're just gonna keep uh, burning things. We got we got to we got to f- fuel the fire that is anthropological. <laughs> Well, don't worry. We'll we'll play through Final Fantasy VIII, <laughs> and then we'll stream whatever other game we were going to stream. And then we'll stream Mother Three, <laughs> and then we'll stream Mother Four, and then at that point we'll be old then, and it'll be fine because we'll be dead. It's cool. I'm okay with that. <laughs> no, better. Our souls will be put into robot bodies. <laughs> Got it. Yes. I was going to say nailed it. I was going to say we can just use CRTs as our tombstones and have Mother Four playing on it in, in a big loop. I do like CRTs as tombstones. I write that down. <laughs> At the very least, a good uh, good track name. 